1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily.
2: Welcome to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show, where today we'll reflect on last night's top flight action, and it was a huge win for Newcastle United as their new stars shone in front of a rowdy St James's Park they beat an Everton side under the guidance of new boss Frank Lampard just how big a challenge does Frank have on his hands? West Ham got the job done too against a struggling Watford in their fight for the top four but it wasn't without its controversy as David Moyes chose to start the under fire Kurt Zouma in his team after those unsavoury off-field actions and it was the same old story for Manchester United as they had all the Chances, but could only manage a 1 1 draw at Turf Moor with Burnley. We'll pick the bones out of those games as well as looking ahead to tonight's offering of four Premier League clashes with Manchester City, Aston Villa, Tottenham, and Leeds all in action. Loads to go through on today's show, so let's not hang about. I'm Nile, and we'll get stuck into the talking points today in the company of Matt Pidd and Ian Brannan. Hi, guys. Good morning. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very good, not too bad. Yeah, looking forward to more midweek Premier League action. Four games tonight, including both of your sides, Manchester City and Leeds respectively, playing on the same day. Not against each other though, I was hoping that maybe you would have come God. up against each other, that would have made for a, a good little preview podcast. But We've already, not to be we've okay. already done that we, we, one. We went through that, that one. one, it
3: was the uh, after yeah. the year seven, 7-0 was it? The night after, yeah. was it Ian? Yeah, it's, yeah, not, it's it not an experience yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I'm keen to repeat. <laughs> we'll move swiftly on then, for the sake of uh, Ian's dignity uh, as a football supporter. Uh, and we'll talk about the game, which I think is the elephant in the room from last night. It wasn't the best game, but it's certainly the one that's drawn the most talking points. And that's the one that took place at London Stadium between West Ham and Watford. The Hammers won the game by a goal to nil, thanks to a strike from Jared Bowen. Um, but the big talking point, Matt, was that Kurt Zuma was surprisingly in David Moyes' starting 11. The obvious question is, should that have been the case? Should he have played? We discussed in detail on yesterday's show exactly what went down with that nasty video of Kurt Zuma deciding that he was going to kick his pet, which has brought outrage, and rightly so, amongst football fans and animal lovers and just general human beings from um, across social media and beyond to condemn Kurt Zuma's actions. But it didn't exactly set... A great example from West Ham or David Moyes by putting him in the starting eleven, in my opinion. What are your thoughts? Do you think he should have played?
3: Now, the last thing I want to be doing is talking about anything other than football on this podcast, but I have to um, give my opinion on what Kurt Zuma's done there. Um, he shouldn't have even been anywhere, the pitch for me. Um, I don't think it sets a good example at all by having Kurt Zouma um, in that side last night. I mean, what he's done for me is absolutely abhorrent, vile. Um, I've actually been put in Twitter jail for a week for giving my views on what he's done, you know, it, it seems okay for people to throw racist abuse at people constantly every week, but as soon as I have an opinion on someone who's been caught on film abusing a defenceless animal, you know, I'm banned for a week, you know, that really makes sense, doesn't it? Um, But I basically said in so many words that, you know, people who abuse animals are down there with the lowest of the low in life, and, you know, I don't want to go on too much about it, but um, I've got to choose my words carefully, but David Moyes and West Ham, like you said, they've set... A poor example by letting this man play last night. It's not right whatsoever in my opinion. You know, footballers, they're supposed to be role models and looked up to by millions of the younger generation. And what sort of example does this set now that it's okay to abuse animals as long as you're a decent footballer? You know, I guarantee you now, if it was a lesser player or a player in the reserves, they would have been out the door. No questions asked. Um, For me, a fine isn't enough. A ban isn't enough. But again, it's all just my opinion, and like I said, it's it's not for for me to say really. But you know, it's just we've got to see what happens in the um, the days and weeks to come. But yeah, like I said, the last thing I want to be doing is talking about this kind of thing on here because I'm I'm an animal lover myself Niall, and I've got two cats at home, and I've not I've not seen the video because I couldn't bring myself to watch it, but I've heard enough about it. To know that it was it was absolutely disgusting. And um I don't to be honest, I don't know how he's showing his face in that stadium last night. I would have stayed at home if I was him. I had to say that it was the
2: elephant in the room, because it absolutely is, and I don't think we could talk about last night's game without mentioning it. And you're you're spot on, we don't really want to be talking about these things on the podcast, because effectively they've got nothing to do with the game we love, and they've got no place in the game we love. So I think it's only right that we do discuss it in in context. And the context here is that David Moyes has picked Zuma in the start in eleven and As much as we can condemn Zuma and we should condemn Zuma for what he's done, does that say a lot about David Moyes as well, Ian, particularly because his, you know, reasoning for picking Zuma was he's basically good at football. I'm absolutely paraphrasing here, by the way, but his argument was that he's one of our better players and we need to win tonight. Now, if you're Kurt Zuma and the manager says you're playing tonight, you can't exactly turn around and say, no, I won't, Gaffer. So I think, actually, as much as we can condemn Kurt Zuma and we should for what he did, which was horrific, I also think that David Moyes deserves a fair amount of flack for even putting this situation to the forefront. Uh, I mean, what's your take, Ian, first of all, um, on the fact that Zuma played last night, and second of all, that Moyes effectively said that, oh, he's good at football, so he's going to play?
4: Well, I was surprised to see his name you know, on the team sheet. And I, I, I wasn't uh, sort of watching the game in, in any form, but, I, you know, I had social media open and so on. And and I saw the reaction from a couple of friends of mine uh, who are West Ham fans um, who'd, you know, previously had their say on Zuma saying, you know, that's him. Get him out of our club kind of thing. We, we don't need this. You know, if he'd kicked at human, he wouldn't be playing. So why is it different for a cat? You know, and I can't believe we're even having this conversation, uh, basically, because there are other players that we well know in football at the moment that are not playing for things that they've done, whilst a police investigation is ongoing. And that is exactly the same as this. It is a police investigation. It just so happens to be a cat and not a person that's involved, right? So, yeah, he should face the same. I think what it says is that West Ham, as a club, really don't have any care for it, because... You know, yes, David Moyes is the person who's picked him, but there are people further up the chain that have also allowed this to happen. And you look at the very top of the, the club here, you know, the, the the Golds, the Sullivans, the Brady's, who would have had the authority to say, look, this player is not playing for our club until this is at best is sorted out. This has been allowed to happen through the club. The whole club are only interested in one thing. And I think it's not the first sort of um indiscretion that they've had with 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 things uh you know in their ownership and um it will be interesting to see how this actually does pan out as the police investigation continues but you know the the amount of journalists that i saw last night they were staggered that that zuma was playing this is not going to play out well i assume in the papers today i haven't read them all um but you know this just creates for west ham a whole yeah all right he might be a good footballer but you know they've they've they've
2: caused themselves a PR problem for the whole club now I said this on yesterday's podcast that we're getting into territory now where football decisions are overriding the morality of being a human being and it Mm. shouldn't get like that it should absolutely not get to that stage but you know such is the money and power involved in the game now that West Ham need to finish in the Champions League because it's good for business and If Kurt Zouma helps them finish in the Champions League by beating Watford last night, which they did, and they kept a clean sheet, he did his job as a defender, whether he should have been there or not. He was there and he did his job. But the point is, I guess, that I'm making is that we're in a situation now where people are only thinking about the material side of, of, of football and what comes out of the end of it and not him being a human being.
3: The moral compass of football right now is completely pointing towards the direction of business rather than humanity. That's what that says to me last night. You could see, like like Ian just mentioned there, even West Ham fans was like, what? How can this man start? He was getting booed on the pitch last night. Moyes knew that that was coming, but what he's done there is gone, well, you know, the greater good of what, what goes on in the pitch is better than, you know, what the fans think. It's a sort of a slap in the face to them as well, I guarantee you. I mean, there would have they been three or four people in the stadium last night who really didn't care about what happened rather than, you know, just... They'd rather him just start on the pitch rather than the humanity of the situation itself, and it's just got to be common sense prevailing. Moyes has to use common sense there, but maybe he's got pressure from the owners. I don't know. It, it, like I said, it was just it was a shock last night that he he was even anywhere near the pitch.
4: And that's the thing, like tomorrow night, The Apprentice is back on. Karen Brady is one of the, you know, mentors, uh, leading lights in business at the side of Alan Sugar, showing these people how it should be done. What message does it send out to people running businesses that actually that she's quite happy with that? She's quite happy for a member of her staff, effectively, to go kicking an animal and then turn up for next day and and everything's fine. You know, it
2: it, it sets a, a whole... You know, uh, a whole horrible message really beyond football. I'm with you and I totally think that Brady, Golden, Sullivan should have stepped in. But for me, um, as much as we can condemn, condemn Zuma and we should and he is ultimately responsible and should be condemned for what he's done. David Moyes is the man who picks the team. David Moyes is the man who chooses to start in eleven and makes the decisions. David Moyes is a man with enough experience to have made a better decision than he did. So for me, we can slam Brady, Golden, Sullivan. Yes, they should have stepped in. But David Moyes, he needs to really think about what he's done last night. He had a real good opportunity to set an example. And uh, he would have been given credit for making the decision to leave Zuma out. He didn't. In the end, Zuma was picked in the start in 11 Let's go back to the football. West Ham won the game 1-0. We talk about West Ham wanting to finish in the top four. It was an important result for them, Matt, but also good for the relegation sides as well because Watford lost once again. So with all of the context of the games last night, Newcastle winning, Burnley drawing, West Ham beating Watford was good for the Hammers, but also good for the other teams at the bottom.
3: Absolutely, yeah. Um, in the context of things, when West Ham's Champions League hopes, huge result for them last night. Obviously, United dropping points as well. United have still got a game in hand on them, but all West Ham can do now is just keep getting points in the games that are ahead of them all they can keep doing is trying to win and hope that the teams around them start you know dropping points like United did last night Um from a football point of view um, Jared Bowen this season has been absolutely you know he's fantastic he's um, a lot of people was sort of questioning like the step up from the championship to the Premier League obviously he's come from Hull City where he had um, a great reputation there but he's brought that up in tenfold into the Premier League, he's proven that he can come and do it in the Premier League. He doesn't just provide goals; he provides assists. He he helps uh, trap back. He's he's got it all there, Jared Bowen. And you know, West Ham, if they get into the Champions League next season, will have a huge part of him to thank for that. And they'll do well to keep hold of him. He's still he's still young. He's still got a, um, a number of years ahead of him. I'm sure a number of the so-called bigger clubs in inverted commas will be sniffing around him. So, yeah, they've just got to keep picking up the results, West Ham. And, um, yeah, it'll be an interesting few weeks for them now.
2: Yeah, certainly. And I think we should mention Watford as well. Roy Hodgson's gone in there just his second game as Watford manager. Two big games, one against Burnley, which they drew 0-0. And this one, they lost 1-0 to West Ham. One point from two games so far, but they've been a lot harder to beat. They've been tighter at the back. Whether that will result in Watford dragging themselves out of trouble remains to be seen. But they lost 1-0 to West Ham last night. In the relegation fight, there was another huge game too. It took place at St. James's Park. Newcastle beat Everton by three goals to one. And I must say, the noise when Newcastle scored their three goals was absolutely fantastic. The crowd were right behind them. Uh, for me, Kieran Trippier's free kick, Ian, was the standout in that 3-1 victory. Is that the difference that a bit of quality can make in a relegation fight, do you think?
4: well it's certainly it's certainly helped them out so far hasn't it and well you know you bring a quality player in and you get those quality moments but it was a long time it has been a long time rather since since he scored you know he had all that time in 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 spain and i don't think he actually found uh, found the net in, in la liga did he but you know, three games into his career in in the Premier League, and he's doing it. Seems at home. Um, there's been pictures on uh, on Instagram from his uh, from his missus and Joyner Greggs, So it sounds like uh, he's uh, he's settling in nicely. <laughs> yeah, to adapting well at life yeah, yeah, fitting right in. So you know, maybe he's just a bit happier here and, and getting on with it. And you know, obviously need a bit of luck in it in every match. Um, but um, you know, he must he must feel good. Having had a few matches, literally, you know, three three games, I think, and and getting on the score sheet, and you know, it seems to be going well for him. Um, I think Newcastle sort of rode their luck a little bit, of course, um, but um, you know, that's, that's how it that's how it sort of goes in football, isn't it? You know, luck is a big is a big part of it. And You have got to take your chances. Um, Everton, I think, uh, I don't know this this whole thing with changing the manager and and sticking Frank in, you know, they're, they're in. Obviously, they're in a very similar position to Leeds United, but you know, I wouldn't be quite so confident if Leeds change their manager right now. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure if this is like uh, going to be
2: the uh, <laughs> the move they hope it's uh, it's going to be. I have to say, I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think that Frank Lampard maybe realised how much of a task he's got on his hands last night. Now, it's never easy going to St James's Park, particularly when the fans are behind them, Matt, 52,000, hanging on every kick of the ball. But do you think the result shows that even after beating Brentford convincingly in the FA Cup at the weekend, back to Premier League action, tough game away from home against a side who will have so much uh, to play for between now and the end of the season in Newcastle. Does it just show how big a task that Lampard's got to deal with?
3: Yeah. Um, obviously, the honeymoon period is over very, very quickly now for Frank Lampard. Decent result against Brentford over the weekend, 4-1 victory. It would have given the team a lot of confidence, but taking that into the Premier League obviously doesn't seem to have worked. Yeah. Um, th- what happened under Benitez was it was toxic. That's the only word I can actually like, think to describe of the atmosphere at the club there. Um, they've brought in like, two fresh players with uh, Van der Beek and uh, Deli Alley. But they're going to take time to bet into into the team and the system itself. Um, and Lampard needs to get to know his players a little bit more, what the strengths and weaknesses are. He's not been there very long. And they went one-0 up last night in fortunate circumstances, obviously, but you know, the lead didn't last a minute. And that's that's a mentality thing. That's a, that's a sort of character thing that they need to work on. If they get the lead in a the game, they need to just buckle down and, and and start to you know keep clean sheets a little bit more because you know they're in a relegation fight now, and obviously they're in there because they've not been able to keep the ball from out the net. So yeah, it's it's a big job for Lampard. I mean, we've seen we've seen the positive impact he can have. I mean, at Chelsea, he didn't have a great win rate at all, but you know, we played decent football there. And another thing, he gave youth a chance, and Everton have got some good young players there. So it's it's just going to take time. But whether they have it now or not, you know, it's going to remain to be seen in May. Personally, I think they'll get themselves out of it. But you know, it, it depends on the results for other clubs as well, because. You know, there's other clubs down there fighting for their lives. Burnley picked up a point last night, and you know, it's it's just one of these things. Now they're gonna have to take it game by game. They're gonna have to pick up the points at home. That's where they're gonna have to rely on. You know, getting themselves out of this now, start making Goodison Park a fortress again, because over the years it's it's been known as a place that's really really tough to go. But teams nowadays go there and they're not scared at all. So yeah, Lampard's got a job to do, and um, he's only got so many weeks to do it in.
2: Yeah, I love Goodison Park. I think it's a proper old school ground. I've said it loads of times on this podcast before. When the atmosphere is booming there is a really great place to play football. And I think that'll be the key, Matt. You're right, the home games that Everton have at Goodison. The fans needing to get behind Lampard. And I think they will because anything for them is better than Rafa Benitez with all the links to Liverpool and the poor performances and the questionable tactics and stuff like that. So I think now that those Everton fans know they're in a scrap and they will get behind Frank Lampard, particularly at Goodison Park. Uh, Let's talk about the final game that happened last night. Night. Burnley won. Manchester United won at a miserable turf. More the rain was absolutely pounding in East Lancashire, and once again Manchester United are left this morning, Ian, ruined their missed chances. The first half they had twelve shots, five on target. They scored once, they scored twice, they scored three times. Two of them ruled out for VAR, which is kind of part of the game, unfortunately for them. But in the second half, they weren't able to uh, to, to make that dominance count as Burnley came back into it. So. Again, United this morning, probably thinking if only we could have taken those chances,
4: yeah absolutely, and it's it's you know you know it's been a frustration for for man united and it's sort of the story of this season in many ways, and now they drop out of the the top four as well at least uh, for the time being and um you know you, you look at man United, you think they i mean Burnley are always a frustrating side to play against, I think no matter who who the opposition is you know Burnley are a frustrating side, and always classic british football Sean dykes, you know brexit football as it's called you know uh, sort of get stuck in and and all that kind of stuff don't give them any room to play but man united you look at the the team that they put out it was a strong team they should have had the quality you'd think to to eventually grind burnley down make them run for it and and um and and you know get them on the fitness in the last 20 minutes if 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 nothing else but A big point, though, for Burnley as well. I don't think it's enough. I think Burnley obviously had quite a few games in hand and these games in hand are starting to to run out. I know that Newcastle fans are starting to crow a little bit about their position. Of course, now they're out of the top three for the time being. And, um, you know, for Burnley, they've only got a couple of rolls of the dice left to to really get something out of those those games in hand. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. But, you know, for Manchester United, it's just frustrating. And I know... um, Ragnick has, uh, as you know, said you know that look, this is a side that hasn't won anything for what ten years in terms of the league. So there's a, there's a reason deep sorry, rooted. How, for how that. long
3: ago was that? How, how, long, how long has that been? Sorry, sorry. Oh, well, it was, well it was at
4: least in double, I'm sure it was at least in double figures. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sadly, not triple figures. But uh, but yeah, you know, and he said that there's a, there must be a reason for that. Something deep rooted within the club is wrong, and he's made this suggestion. Uh, in in the in the press conference, I think was it yesterday or the, or the day before look, you know the, there is a problem at Man United. Nobody can put their finger on it. But ever since Fergie's gone, the the mojo has left. Maybe he's got some sort of special power, like in Beauty and the Beast with the flower. I don't know. Maybe it's something like that, and he's left, and it's gone, and it's all crumbling. <laughs> <sighs> Anyway, shame for everybody else, isn't it? Nobody
2: really cares apart from Man United fans, let's be honest. Well, he's got that off his chest. The lead supporter and the Man City supporter. I knew that was going to happen on today's podcast. Um, For Burnley, is this a bit of a turning point for them in a way? I I saw one Burnley supporter suggest that Veghurst and Rodriguez were so impressive that those two are going to be the ones to turn around Burnley's season, Matt. I mean, there's still plenty of time to go and they do have games in hand, in all fairness.
3: They're another team, Burnley, that are going to have to rely on the home results. I mean, United last night found it hard going to a cold, wet, windy Tuesday night in Burnley. Um, and these are the games that they're going to have to uh, to do to get to get the points in. Weghorst is a Burnley player personified when you you, you look at him. They've gone and sold Chris Wood, who is a massive centre forward, and they've gone and bought an even bigger centre forward. Six is he six foot six, <laughs> six foot seven, something like that. An absolute unit, yeah. and he just caused absolute havoc. United last night and him and Rodriguez combined to get Burnley's goal and that's absolutely fantastic for Burnley, They can see now that they've, they've got a little partnership striking up there and obviously Rodriguez we know from down the years has been a thorn in United's United side he's done bits against United in the past so yeah, it's, um, it's it's a positive sign they've still got quality players like McNeil, you know, Burnley who can provide that creative side for them, again just the, the, the home results now and hopefully he can pick up a couple of uh, decent results away along the way, so yeah, um, Sean Dice is just going to have to just rely on his team to be solid. They're in a relegation fight. They know they are. Um, it's been a long time coming for me, this. Um, Burnley being in a position that they are now. The football that they play, like Ian was just saying there, is known as Brexit football. It's not what people see nowadays as good football, or perceive as good football. But if it works for Burnley, then why not? Why not keep playing that? Sean Dice, traditional English manager. You're not going to see him start playing 4-3-3 with a false nine, are you? You know, so just them for what they are, they're a throwback to what you think, look at in the nineties and the eighties and stuff like that, and it seems to work for them. And you know, I like, I like Burnley's. They're well. they're a good little football club in the northwest. I like clubs in the northwest being in the Premier League. So I I hope they stay up. I and I, I hope that um, Sean Dice gets given a little bit of money to spend in the summer if they do so because we've seen in the past. I mean, they've uh, they signed Carney from what was it, Leon, um, and that was like one of the their. their club record signing I don't know how much they're signing for something like 12 million 15 million something like that that's a club record signing do you know what I mean that was Man City's record signing back in 2002 when they bought Nicholas and Elka like 14 million so that just goes to show you just how like like sort of like, tight it's been for Sean Dyche and the, the the job that he's done so well with the, uh, the lack of uh, funds and the lack of budget that he's been given. It's a fair play to them.
2: I agree with what you say when you say it works for them because so many times you've heard managers and even people on the podcast, to be fair, slag off Burnley for the way they play and some people call it anti-football. There's no right or wrong way of playing football. I mean, everyone would love to play like Liverpool and Man City in the way they play, but... It works for Burnley and it's kept them in the Premier League for five or six years. It might not be the case this time, but it's worked and it's caused problems for teams as it did for Manchester United last night. Final score at Surfmore was one apiece. There are four Premier League games tonight. We are not done yet with the Premier League chat. We'll have more for you after this here on Football Social Daily.
0: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport social.co.uk.
2: Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show from Sport Social. And there are four top flight fixtures to take in tonight. There are also games tomorrow as well we'll start in London where Tottenham take on Southampton they've got a few games in hand do Spurs over other top four contenders but they just need to get those points on the board don't they Ian I mean it's all well and good Antonio Conte having a couple of games in hand on the likes of West Ham and Manchester United and Arsenal but if they don't win those games you're almost back where you started well yeah exactly you've
4: <laughs> you got to make it stick haven't you if you've uh you know got any kind of advantage to to, to cash in um and you know these these games are going to come thick and fast now uh, now we're out of this little break and really for uh, you know for spurs they they they've got ground to make up haven't they um particularly against their their north london rival as you mentioned uh, in 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 arsenal and uh, you know that top four position is only four points away at the moment but easily easily doable and they've got the games in hand to, to certainly cement themselves in and among that uh, that mix up but yeah, it starts tonight against Southampton, who are not going to be an easy side um, t- to break down. You know, they've been playing pretty well recently, haven't they? And uh, it- it's going to be an interesting game this evening. See if um, see if Harry Kane can continue his, his rich form that um, that he found at
2: the weekend. As for Southampton, really interesting comments made pre-match by their manager, Ralph Hasenhürtel. Now, they're off the back of a decent 1-1 draw with your team, Manchester City, but that was ages ago and we'll come on to City shortly. But as for Hasenhürtel... He's a strange guy, isn't he? Some of the things he comes out with. <laughs> he cried about being in Liverpool. He complained about signings being made in January and them not being allowed to play in rescheduled games. And now he said that he might retire in 2024 as Southampton manager at the age of what would be, I think, 54 or 57, something like that. Those were his comments, allegedly. He's a bit of an odd guy, but he's someone who Southampton have found a bit of stability with despite the occasional 9-0 thrashing.
3: Yeah, he's um he's he's come in there and he's he's come with a reputation for being the um, Austrian Klopp. I think that people was calling him, and you can see the comparisons because Jurgen Klopp can come out with some some questionable quotes and some um, questionable behaviour. <laughs> but um, the way, I mean the way he's got Southampton playing, he has no. I mean, as obviously I seen him a couple of weeks ago playing against City and. They're a, they're a team that just likes to get amongst it and get about it and be physical and, and not allow teams too much time on the ball. They've got a good pressing game and they've got some some decent players there. I think Ward-Prowse, Ward their captain, their talisman, He's, he sets the example for a all. And if they beat Tottenham tonight, they can get into the top 10, you know what I mean? Albeit, you know, there's a couple of games in hand that Leicester and, and Villa have got. But that's good for Southampton. That's good. I mean, I was saying a couple of weeks ago on the podcast that Southampton fans would just um, settle for mid-table obscurity, you know what I mean? Just just stay in the Premier League, not get sucked into a relegation fight. They're not going to be challenging for any European places, just going to be in and about that middle ground and maybe get a little bit of a decent cup run going. But yeah, other than the, the occasional 9-0 thrashing like you mentioned there, Niall, and I'm sure it'd give you great pleasure to say that, Um They've, they've done okay, and and Ralph Hasenhüttl has done okay. So I don't know what he's saying there. Maybe he just wants people to talk about him more. Maybe he just wants a bit of attention. I don't know. But like you said, he's only he's only a young manager. I just think
2: it's funny that he's going to retire having achieved absolutely nothing in the game.
3: Yeah, it's, yeah, it does <laughs> it's seem not like strange. he's gone out on yeah. top. No, it's not like he's won the FA Cup for Southampton and gone like that. Ah, that's no, it. I'm exactly. done, boys. You know what I mean? I'm out. I'm Mike dropping now. Yeah, so it does. See, it does seem a, a little bit strange, but maybe he's got his eyes on other ventures. Maybe he wants to to to, to start a business or something like that. I have absolutely <laughs> no idea. But yeah, he's he's coming there to Southampton, who was in a sort of little bit of a, a turmoil sort of state when he came in. But he's coming there, and he's 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 nailed it down, what he wanted from his players. And he seems to be getting that now on a, on a weekly basis. And uh, Tottenham will not find it easy against these tonight like we didn't um, the other week because they will come and they will work hard. And we know how Spurs can be Spurs-er. Spurs can just capitulate at any given moment, home or away and obviously Tottenham do have home advantage tonight but it wouldn't surprise me if Southampton went and got something there tonight just because of how hard they work and they've got uh, they've got a de- that, that lad from Chelsea that's on loan the young lad, I forget his name now, he's only 21 but he seems to know where the net is and you've got Ward Prowse who's dangerous from from set pieces you know, from corners, free kicks, stuff like that so yeah, Southampton can go there tonight and they can pick up points, they've just got to be on it
2: Yeah, it's the Premier League, isn't it? There's no foregone conclusions, as we know. Um, You know, there's there's always a risk of a team going to a, a better side for want of a better term and getting a result. And there's absolutely no question that Southampton are capable of that when they travel to Tottenham this evening. Now we're going to talk about Aston Villa versus Leeds at Villa Park give you a chance to get up on your soapbox Ian Brannan, Leeds United, your team, are we starting to see players slowly coming back now, is the mood around the camp at Ellen Road just starting to change a bit? No, back
4: to you, uh, no uh, <laughs> a, li- a, a little bit a little bit is the answer um there'll be I don't think there'll be any major uh, comebacks tonight for uh, for the villa game, but give it the next couple of weeks, I think we are starting to see players coming back uh, the latest on the injuries at Leeds is um, Calvin Phillips and Liam Cooper, who've been out for such a long time but you know crucial to to how the Leeds system operates are in the final stages of recovery they're not going to be back for another few weeks yet you're looking at the start of March for them um, furpo the defender. Um, who's been playing pretty well misses tonight, but they reckon he might be back for the next game at the weekend for sure. Shackleton and Cresswell are all recovered, so there's three there that might be back in the mix tonight. The big one though is Bamford. He's missed 15 games this season,
2: and he's he's nowhere near coming back. He's uh, you know what's his injury, Ian? What is it that's actually been keeping him out? Is it something severe or just a niggle that well, won't go away? I, I think it's <laughs> what happened from what I from what I know. Uh, is that
4: he had one injury. I think it was a hip injury, uh, if if memory serves me. And I am winging this off the top of my head. Um, And and he had this this injury. He came back. And was it the Brentford match? He scored that last-minute goal. And then I think he injured himself in the celebration. And and I think it's an ankle injury
2: or or it some is, such. Yeah, it's, it says here. So I think I'm not sure if this is an official line, but mm. it says Bamford has not improved. He continues with the problems at the bottom of his foot yes. and has not started jogging. So the situation continues the same way. It's just one of these that's going on and on and Sorry, on. Sorry
3: guys, that reminds me of a situation with a uh, Loire, Loire a few years ago for Portsmouth <laughs> when he got injured celebrating. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, yeah. When of Re- I was, was it? Was it Redknapp <laughs> that told him not to do the? He told him not to do the backflip and then he went and did it and injured yeah. <laughs> himself.
2: That's
4: the most wholesome thing uh, that can you know, ever we've, happen. We've always, d- we've all done that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. He, um, so, so that's a big one, you know, because Leeds are without an actual you know, out-and-out striker. Bamford was, of course, in the England set-up at the end of last season. He was Leeds' top scorer. He was one of the top scorers in the in the Premier League. <laughs> bizarrely, come the end of last
2: season, you should have signed you one was. in January, really, shouldn't you? That was that's what Leeds should well, have done. Is that a failing that was- from the board? no well no um they were they were looking at
4: uh, well it could in hindsight maybe it is the the reason it and it's I think it's a bielsa thing right he, he they had the opportunity to to take on a, a couple of um players and van der Beek was one of them. Um, and there was uh, another. Um, but I think either way, the players that have gone to Everton, I think Leeds could have had. But, you know, the, the the baggage that goes with them in terms of the cash, you know, massive loan deals that are going to be really expensive for the club, even though you don't actually own the player. So um, they decided against it. And Bielsa's thing is very much, if you come into Leeds, you have to be firstly up to Bielsa's fitness standards before you're anywhere near the pitch so it doesn't matter who you are you could be Lionel Messi and you'd be you know playing in the in the in the reserves until you you're fit enough um, and indeed possibly in his career that might have happened I don't know because I think he has managed <laughs> Messi before in uh, in Argentina but um you know it, so there's 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 a huge amount of of work that goes in you've got to learn the system because he won't put a player in there until you're fully familiar with how it works and he would rather Um, I mean, the way that Bielsa phrased it was that there were no options that would improve what we've got. So he doesn't want to just have players in there just for numbers. He wants improvement on what he's got and he believes that um that that joe geldart for example is is a better out and out striker than whatever else is available on the transfer market because he knows the system he's playing in the under 23s week in week out he's been playing there for years he knows how it all works and he would rather bring a kid in who knows the score and he knows he's fit than bring another player in who he doesn't know never met no idea about him and he's got a sort of teach them the uh mr miyagi ways from the start so um you know that's where it sort of boils down to and uh that's what he's going to have to do you know when it comes to the striker it, it is going to be an opportunity for the likes of geldart who is undoubtedly going to be a massive star as we've seen with calvin phillips you know give him a couple of years you know geldart will be in and around the england team if he continues the in the direction that he's going because i think if he gets a run in the team uh, and and really finds his feet you know he'll he, he'd be banging them in for fun. So it's just that I think maybe Bielsa knows that he's got some decent kids coming through. Maybe they're just not quite ready yet, but he'd rather them than somebody in on loan who's just here for the payday kind of thing and just can't be bothered. And you've got to ask as well that these players that are coming out on loan from these big clubs, they're not in the starting lineups of their respective parent clubs for a reason. So, uh, you know, he, he, Bielsa would rather not have have those. And uh Stick at uh, stick at his plan, which is always how he's done it. He ain't going to change now. But yeah, better times are ahead. I'm not sure those better times are tonight, but they, they need to be. Leeds could do with a you know a win for Leeds tonight would certainly uh, would certainly sort of put some good distance between them and the bottom.
2: Oh yeah, how worried are you about relegation? Are you are you kind of tentatively concerned? Are you not worried at all? Because if Villa turn you over tonight, um. That sucks you a little bit closer, and with the injuries and stuff like that, I think Leeds should be okay. But are, are you worried? Are fans worried? Is there kind of this sort of unspoken of nervousness around the club about potential relegation? I think I
4: think Leeds are always worried because <laughs> I don't think uh, you know Leeds could be five nil up with two minutes left, and you'll still find some fans there who are chewing their nails and and, and think that they could lose six five in the, in the remaining minute. You know, it, it, it's it's sort of the Leeds way in many ways and you know the the good thing is in a way that Leeds are in this position of being a good few points clear of the relegation zone despite having i think at one point nine first choice players out so you know it's it's if we can do that with your backup team, you've got to think where Leeds might have been if they'd have had a, a season where most of the players had stayed fit for. I mean, of course you're going to miss players here and there, but to lose Bamford for 15 games, is, is you know, that's going to harm anybody who he, he would he'd be playing for. Um, I don't think... The thinking is that... You- this season of all seasons, the amount of points required to stay up is going to be lower than probably any because of the way things are going. And I know the athletic have, have fed the, the remaining fixtures into their master computer uh, based on, on um, the stats so far. Obviously, things may change, but There's they've such got. B- those well, I know, but they. they <laughs> but I, and I think this. <laughs> it's a load of rubbish. Uh, well, no, actually, it must be correct because they've got Newcastle to go down. So uh, <laughs> absolutely nailed on. Um, but I think when you look at the remaining fixtures that Leeds have got, they've got many of the the big um, ones out of the way or the, they will have had many of the big fixtures out of the way come what they call the running, you know, the final sort of eight or nine games. Leeds have got a relatively steady away period where, where the, their rivals around them have got to play the big four who are going to be going all at it uh, in the final closing uh, throws of the season, Leeds should have enough quality. They've certainly got more quality than than many of the sides below them. Um, and and you know a bit of turbulence with Everton, maybe Brentford. You fancy could still yet get dragged into to all that. Uh, good news though on the the, the Athletic supercomputer has uh, as predicted that Burnley will miraculously be the one to escape the drop, and uh, Newcastle, <laughs> Watford, and uh, Norwich City uh, to t- to go down. So we'll have to see if this uh, this pans out correct. But I think that the general feeling is that if Leeds can get another couple of wins, literally another two or three wins. That They should be all right, you know, um, but, you know, there's there's many twists and turns to come. I think if Leeds can get their, you know, the strength, their spine of their team back again with Cooper and, and Calvin Phillips back in the side, then I think things will calm down. Leeds have never played well without Calvin Phillips, and I think the fact they've actually got some results this time when, when he's been missing for so long is, uh, it's actually... A better situation than I thought Leeds probably would be in. I, I fancied that Leeds might have been flirting with the, with the bottom three you know, pretty firmly by now if, if things had gone how they would have gone in previous seasons. But, um, but I think that they have got a bit more strength in depth. And as long as Rafinha, Phillips uh, and uh, you know, Jack Harrison and so on can, can stay fit, I think they'll be all right. Um, but yeah, the injuries keep coming. We could do with less
2: of them. Thanks. There's only one good place for a supercomputer, and that's Landfill. The uh, supercomputer <laughs> from November predicted that there'd be one point between the top three teams at the end of the season, and Manchester City have definitely put paid to that prediction. And we'll talk about them next after this here on Football Social Daily.
0: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
0: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
2: Welcome back to the show. This is Football Social Daily, the daily Premier League podcast from Sport Social. Still two more Premier League fixtures to talk about. And we'll start at the Etihad Stadium, where Manchester City welcome Brentford. And it feels like ages since that draw with Southampton on the 22nd of January in City's last Premier League game, Matt. The gap is nine points Uh, between yourselves and Liverpool in second place. Now, we've mentioned already on this podcast that the Premier League is never easy and you can take nothing for granted. But with the way City have been playing and how good they are and the form that they're in and the dominance they've shown, this should be a routine victory for your side tonight, shouldn't it?
3: Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But you'll still speak to City fans like myself who just don't have 100% confidence in that. Um, But at the end of the day, Brentford... Uh, not a walk over side we played them back in December and we was extremely lucky to come away from, from them with the three points but we are at the Etihad tonight and we know Man City at the Etihad can be a completely different prospect to the one that turns up at different grounds around the country um, I expect players like Bernardo back in the side tonight got a to rest against Fulham over the weekend Rodri as well um, so back to full strength um, apart from Cole Palmer and Gabriel Jesus not being in the in the squad because of uh, little niggling injuries at the end of the day, we just need to keep picking up the three points. Liverpool have got a game in hand um, on us, but we play them in April and I think it all boils down to that game, to be honest. If we're not, obviously, you know, a few points more ahead by that point. Liverpool, for me, will keep picking up the points and we will keep picking up the points. So it all boils down to that game in April. If we beat them in April at the Etihad, then for me, it's curtains for Liverpool's title charge. But Guardiola, um, he's he's handled some... Um, some like. Tough questions from the um, the pressers yesterday. I don't know if you've seen it. People like filming Jack Grealish being out in 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 a bar. Apparently, he'd been out for a meal with uh, Riyad Mahrez and a couple of other people. Um, and his response was well I'm only annoyed that they didn't invite me and that for me is just like you know (laughs) the way that Pep handles these kind of things where people try and get under his skin and try and you know sort of like take his mind away from the task at hand the way he handles that is absolutely fantastic and the way City have been conducting themselves um, with the contract situations over the last week or so it wouldn't surprise me if he signs um, a couple of years extension because the, the club, the fans, everything just seems to be in harmony at the moment and why would he want to go anywhere else? He's already said he would never manage another club in the Premier League, but to be honest, he's got everything he needs with us. He's got absolutely everything and he's going he's gonna to have more money to spend in the summer, hopefully. Obviously, we've got um, Julian Alvarez, but he's going to probably go back on loan to River Plate at some point and he's only young, he's 21. Um, there's talks of City being the front runners now for Erling Haaland. Now, I won't believe it until... City actually have him, you know, at the ground with a shirt in his hand with his number on his back and and holding a scout and giving the interview to the club website. That is the only time I believe it. But I can't see Erling Haaland wanting to come anywhere else apart from obviously Real Madrid, but Real Madrid have pulled out the race now apparently. So yeah, we're the front runners we could be Premier League champions, we could be champions of Europe, we could have the FA Cup, you know, all going well, but who knows, who knows, City have just got to keep winning one game at a time, that's Pep Guardiola's philosophy, he never looks further than the the, the game that's coming up next, and Brentford, no mugs, Thomas Frank's got a good squad there, he's brought most of them up from the Championship, they've got a sort of like a, a family sort of like unit there, the, the club, the fans, everyone seems to be together as one, they won't make it easy for us tonight, they won't make it easy for us tonight at all, but if City play their game, and City just do what they do best, and just keep the ball, um, play nice football, uh, work for each other, press, then I can't see us um, having any problems tonight. But I have this little voice in the back of my head, which has come from years and years of supporting City in the dark days, that just says, it could go wrong tonight, it could be a banana skin. And obviously, you know, Leeds relying on us for a result tonight because I'm sure you uh, Leeds and Brentford are quite close together in the table so I'm sure Ian will have one eye on that as well as the, uh, the Villa game. So yeah, it's going to be... A, come on City. <laughs> come <laughs> on City. I'm going to this game tonight as well, yeah. so I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it. It'll be it'll be nice to be back at the Etihad. I said, I went against Fulham at weekend as well. That, that was good. It was a, a decent game of football and hopefully we get the same tonight. Well,
2: enjoy the game tonight against Brentford. As you say, Brentford might be worried about relegation at this stage. Thomas Frank has just been showing a few signs... Of losing his composure. We saw him sent off by a referee before the international break. We saw him uh, complain when his side got beaten by Manchester United recently, saying that they absolutely destroyed Manchester United, yet they lost the game, I think, by a margin of three goals. So I just think it's one of those where he is just starting to feel the pressure and survival in the Premier League for Brentford would be a great achievement whether they finish one place above the dotted line or mid-table but it's not going to be easy tonight against the City side who, as Matt says, appear to be firing on all cylinders. Everything seems to be going in the right direction at the Etihad Stadium and that is the venue tonight as Brentford are the visitors. Final game we're going to discuss on today's podcast Norwich against Crystal Palace. Unfortunately for Canaries and Eagles fans this one bottom of the billion on today's show but we'll talk about it regardless. Norwich back in the relegation zone after Newcastle beat Everton 3-1. I mean, we say this every week about Norwich, Ian, but they just have to win, don't they? To reapply the pressure back to Newcastle United, to keep the pressure on Burnley and Watford, they have to get three points. But are they good enough to do that against the Palace side that have impressed this season? in fits and starts.
4: Well yeah it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a bit of an acid test for Palace in a way to, to sort of show what they're, they're made of. Norwich really will need to be going for this and as you say they, they now have to match whatever else happens around them and more really if they want to, to get out of that relegation zone. Bad result for Norwich last night with, um, uh, with, with Newcastle winning of course and that really does put pressure on them and even that point for, for Burnley adds uh, a bit more pressure too, turns the screw um, a, a little bit and Uh, and of course um, you know the loss for Watford sort of helps them out conversely as well slightly but Obviously, three are going to go down. Can you see Norwich getting out of that bottom three? I think it's going to be a bit of a struggle. They're just the perennial yo-yo club at the minute, aren't they? Uh, of the last sort of decade or so, and uh, I think Crystal Palace of this season, whilst we kind of associate their name of of being uh, the sort of side that that always dabbles in, uh, in in danger in that that sort of bottom five or so uh, throughout the course of the Premier League history, they they do have a bit more finesse about them this year. With you know, Patrick Vieira's brought that. To them, and they seem a bit more of a solid, more solid outfit, and um, I fancy that uh, that Crystal Palace will will do the job on, on on Norwich. I don't know if you've seen this thing that's um, going round as well. Uh, it's again in the Athletic, but about um, who controls the territory. In, in football, yeah. it's, it's an interesting map and how the various teams set up. But the the, the bottom line is really that that the clubs that are, that are dabbling down the bottom really are uh, you know defending like hell and making the most of getting corners and free kicks. And uh, Norwich are, are very much in that basket, but not quite as much as Burnley, who <laughs> really the, the area they dominate <laughs> is the corner flag. And uh, that's, that's, that's <laughs> what it, but it shows where the action's happening and. You know, for Norwich, I am just looking at their thing now. You know, it's it's very defensive. They're packing the defence. They're trying not to get beat, but they're really sort of giving little up front, and that's the difference between them and the likes of Crystal Palace, who perhaps have changed now under uh, under um, Vieira, and and they are getting down the wing much more, and they're getting the crosses in, and that's where it's going to come from tonight. That's where the risk is going to come from uh, this evening. I,
2: I, I fancy. Yeah, I think Norwich will go down. Um, for some reason, we don't have the same feeling about Norwich as we have done some of the other clubs Brentford uh, uh, sorry not Brentford Burnley have brought in Veghurst. they looked good last night against Manchester United they've got an experienced manager in Sean Dyche, who's used to this they've got games in hand Watford they've got Roy Hodgson someone who's been in this position before someone who can make them more solid they've still got Ishmael Assar to come back after winning the Africa Cup of Nations Emmanuel Dennis back from suspension how big an impact could those two players make Newcastle they've signed Kieran Trippier they won 3-1 against Everton last Last night they've picked up more points um, under Eddie Howe since he came to St James's Park. They've picked up more points than any other relegation side, and if we look at all of those things and then factor Norwich into the equation, Norwich sold or let Todd Campwell leave on loan to Bournemouth in the January window. But apart from that, there's not really too much in terms of that feel good factor about Norwich City so for me I I think we could see them as one of the teams that will be going down in the Premier League at the end of the season. Right that's it for today's episode of Football Social Daily. Loads of football to talk about from both last night and the game set to take place tonight and we'll do the same again all over again on tomorrow's episode because there are games tomorrow and we'll talk about tonight's fixtures too so make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss that one. We'll see you there. This is Football Social Daily.